Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Land Ministries. Welcome to our program. We are in a teaching series called Messianic Teachings for Christians. For those of you who have been following along in this series, we've been covering a number of topics about what Messianics believe as compared to what Christians believe, although we believe in the Messiah, just like the Christian world does as well. But beyond that, there are a lot of differences about how we approach how to obey the Lord and the things that we believe that the Bible is teaching us. We've covered a bunch of topics already, but in this program and in the last program, we began to open up the subject to what we call eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things. It has to do with Bible prophecy, and in particular, Bible prophecy having to do with the Messiah coming back again. Now, for the Christian world, I'm not saying anything new to most of you, the Christian world focuses in on one subject called the rapture, having to do with the second coming. They're looking for this imminent moment when God will decide to return and take up all the Christians and get to go be with the Lord. And then, according to dispensational theology, will leave Israel here on the earth to deal with the Antichrist and to deal with the Great Tribulation. Whereas Messianics don't see it that way at all. Messianics, for the most part, see we're all going to be here together, Christians and us, and we're all going to go through the Great and Terrible Tribulation and the Resurrection and the Rapture and all those wonderful things of the coming of the Kingdom is going to come at the conclusion of those prophesied events. Now, before we get into some of the details of that, I need to really explain the basis. Why do Messianics even begin to think that way? What is their approach? And as I shared with you last week, if I were to super summarize how Messianics view prophecy and eschatology in particular, it comes down to some of these simple expressions that we use. What happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants. As we follow the teaching of the Torah from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and on down into the rest of the generations of Israel, we can see a pattern, a very clear pattern, that Moses recorded certain activities and events of the patriarchs because they're prophetic in nature to the descendants, that we actually see history back there in the Bible as actually prophetic to those that will come at the end of the age. And we see prophecy as simply history that hasn't yet happened. The other is that there's a lot of difficulty for people when they go into these prophetic passages, they try to glean out, well, what is the actual prophecy? In other words, if there's activities with the patriarchs, how is that a prophecy? What, what should we be anticipating that will happen to the descendants? Now, the Christian world, for the most part, completely ignores everything that I just talked about. They tend to focus in on any of the prophecies having to do with Israel doesn't involve them because they've separated themselves from Israel. They're the church. They only tend to focus on things that are in the New Testament to try to understand eschatology. Of course, they home in on the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. They'll back up a little bit and talk about the book of Daniel because they see it tying directly into Revelation. And most Christians, when they study eschatology, the end times, trying to understand prophecies, they'll focus on the book of Daniel and they'll focus on the book of Revelation. But they don't see all the other prophecies that God has given, not only that have been fulfilled, but they don't see the other prophecies about the second coming. By the way, there are way more prophecies in what you call the Old Testament about the second coming than there is about the first coming. And if they don't understand the prophecies about the first coming, how are they going to then learn the skills of how to understand the prophecies of the second coming? If I were to define in the simplest ways I could, what is the real difference? between messianic teaching about prophecy and the end times compared to Christians is the Christians ignore all the prophecies that are given about that subject by Moses and the prophets. Oh, by the way, Moses gave a lot of prophecies about the second coming. As a result 
as a messianic, I have a completely different basis of understanding what the Bible is trying to say on this subject as opposed to my Christian friends who limit the amount of information that they would use. I shared with you last week, and this is a good example of what is to be learned here, is that what happens to the fathers will happen to descendants. I've been a Torah teacher for a lot of years. If I were to summarize in two sentences, what is the whole teaching of the Torah? What The first five books of Moses, in two sentences, define to me what that is. Well, it's the story of one generation that came out of Egypt making a journey to the Promised Land. The first book of the Torah, the Genesis, is explaining where did this people come from? Now, that's not the end result of really what the Torah is about. The truth of the matter is, the Torah doesn't end on that subject. The Torah, in the final portions, Moses elevates his presentation to us in the Torah by having a conversation with a generation into the future, referred to as the last generation. He has a conversation with them about what's going to happen to them. Moses actually prophesies to the last generation. He, it begins in Deuteronomy 29 with these words. I'm not talking to the people that are standing here today. It's a Torah portion we call Nitzavim, standing. Moses is talking to people that weren't standing there with him, but he's comparing them to the people that are standing there. Essentially, what we understand from that is that the story of that generation that came out of Egypt and was on a journey to the Promised Land, it's actually a prophecy of what will happen to the last generation. They will come out of the nations of the world, they will go through a period of time we call the Great Tribulation, trials and tribulations, on a journey to the Promised Land with the coming of the Messiah and establishing the kingdom. Let me recount again to you very quickly these base prophecies so that you can see that there's a lot that has been put into this by Moses and the prophets. Again, we're not talking rapture now. We're talking about a much bigger picture. Jeremiah, in particular, is going to give us two places where he's going to make this incredible comparison between the exodus that came out of Egypt and something future that's going to happen. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it no longer will be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. Now, as you all know, the history of Israel is that the people that crossed over the Jordan went into the land multiple generations because of unbelief and disobedience. God had forewarned us he would kick us out of the land if we didn't obey him. Sure enough, we didn't, and we got scattered into the nations. The house of Israel, the northern kingdom, was scattered by the Assyrians. Then ultimately the house of Judah, there was down in Jerusalem in the land of Judea. They went to Babylon for a while, came back, and then the Romans came and scattered us all into the nations. It's only in this generation that the house of Judah, the Jews, have returned to the land of Israel and reestablished the nation of Israel again. That's part of that tells us we're in the end times. That's part of what tells us what's going to be coming. We've seen the elements of the house of Judah making their way back to the land, but we're still looking for the other scattered of Israel to make their way back from the various nations where they've been scattered. This is the great end time scenario that we are looking for as messianic believers. Now, mind you, it's about Israel. It's about things that happened from a long time ago. It's about things that were prophesied. I have a lot of Christian friends who hold to the teachings of the church, and they literally and utterly dismiss and ignore all these prophecies I just told you about. Doesn't, they don't think it applies to them. To see, the church is different from Israel. They could care less what the Bible says with regard to this. Again, Jeremiah is going to repeat it 
this same prophecy he's going to do in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 7. It begins with this. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. Again, there's a repeat of what Jeremiah had said two times in the book of Jeremiah. It has this statement. Now, but the second one here in Jeremiah 23, it says something interesting. It says the Messiah is the one who's going to be bringing back the scattered of Israel. Now, the Christians, they believe in the Messiah. They believe what the, all the prophecies, what it says about the Messiah. They limit their understanding of the prophecies of the Messiah to the Messiah will come back, arrive in the clouds, we get zapped up, and then he comes back, has the day of the Lord, and establishes the kingdom. Well, what about the prophecies about where the Messiah is supposed to gather the scattered exiles of Israel? Where's the one about where he reestablishes the nation of Israel in the end times? Which, by the way, he's been doing. And oh, by the way, the modern messianic movement is the Spirit of God has been going out to Israel, scattered in all the nations where they're at, all the different tribes of Israel, and bringing us to faith in the Messiah with the expectation that the Messiah will ultimately take us back to the land. That's the crutch of the messianic teaching of the prophecy versus the Christians. And the Messiah is supposed to be responsible to it. If you were to sit down with an observant Jew and say, tell me plainly, why is it that you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Can you give me a really definitive reason why you don't think he is? I'll tell you what they'll say. They'll say he hasn't brought the scattered exiles back from the nations. You see, Jeremiah said that's what the Messiah would do. Now, in Israel in the days when Yeshua came, the house of Israel was scattered in the nations. And there's a lot of Jews who rejected him as being the Messiah. They thought he was a prophet, they thought he was a holy man, but they rejected him as Messiah because they didn't see him bring the scattered exiles back. Well, the fact of the matter is the prophecy said that we would be brought back from all the nations and all of Israel would be scattered when he brings them back. The house of Judah, the Jewish people, sitting under Roman rule, we hadn't been scattered yet. Not to the world, but as you know, in 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed the temple. In 160 AD, we had the Bar Kokhba revolution in which that the Jews definitely got scattered by the Romans and all the different nations of the world. So that prophecy about the Messiah bringing us back from all the nations and all of the tribes, all of Israel being brought back, it has to be a prophecy that's fulfilled after 160 A.D. Well, here we are in the days that we live, and we now see the elements of the Jews coming back as a result of the Holocaust, World War II. They've come back, reestablished the nation of Israel. By the way, all prophecy teachers say that's a huge prophecy that, speaking of the end times, even evangelicals that believe in the prophecies of the rapture and ignore all this stuff, even they acknowledge that Israel being reestablished as a nation in these days, in this generation, it's one of the signs of that the prophecy spoke of, and they begrudgingly are now recognizing that God is not done with Israel yet. However, there's still this strong belief within the Christian world, evangelical world, I really don't need to know anything about the prophecies of what God's doing with Israel because quote, I'm not part of Israel, they think. As a result, Messianics come along saying, no, you are part of Israel. Well, what is at stake is the following. Are you going to go through the great tribulation with the rest of Israel? Because Israel is definitely going to go through the great trib and see the coming of the Lord at the end. Or is there some sort of special dispensation that says, no, the church gets to get zapped out of here, but Israel has to stay here and do this. You know, I'm a Jewish believer. I believe in the Messiah. So if this rapture thing is correct, 
do I get zapped up with the church because I'm a believer in Yeshua? Do I get zapped up when they do? Or do I stay here with my Jewish brethren and the rest of Israel that will fulfill those prophecies? Do you see the conundrum of this? Do you see the problem? It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It doesn't seem to make sense. Let me go a step further, emphatically showing you how Moses has spoken of this whole thing. In Deuteronomy 30, in verse 1, Moses says the following, So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Moses is speaking into the future from his day, talking to the last generation at this point. He says, hey, when you're there and you've seen all this captivity, you've seen Israel scattered and all that, and you see the blessings and the curses that I warned you about in the Torah, if this is what will happen to you if you obey the Lord, this is what will happen to you if you don't obey the Lord. You've seen all of that take place. You've seen how God has dealt with Israel in all of that. He then says, when you think on that and you suddenly realize that's what's really been going on since God started dealing with Abraham all the way to this present day, he says, when that comes to mind, he says, verse 2, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Verse 2 is the description of the modern messianic movement. So there's a whole bunch of us Jews since the house of Judah that have returned in this generation have suddenly reevaluated and we turned to the Messiah. We are now seeing that the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, really is the Messiah. One rabbi said this to me. He said, we have seen more Jews become believers in Jesus, Yeshua, in the last 19 years than in the last 1900 years. And I would have to agree with that. The modern messianic movement has been born out spiritually of Jews becoming believers of the Messiah at the same time the modern nation of Israel had come forth. In fact, there's some prophecies in Isaiah that talks about can a nation be born in one day? Can all of her sons come forth? It seems to speak to, as we see God bringing the actual physical nation of Israel back, many Jews are becoming believers. But in this modern messianic movement, guess what? The vast majority of people that are joining in this messianic movement, they're not just Jews. They're people that would have considered themselves to be Gentiles, definitely not Jewish. But for some reason, they feel this unction of the Holy Spirit they're supposed to be part of something that's going on now. Now, the Messianic movement is not about calling you back to be a Jew. Let's just dismiss that right off the bat. The modern Messianic movement is about the people that believe in the God of Israel, about them turning back and learning to instructions of Moses and learning to obey the Lord which was the mistake that we made and got us kicked into all the nations. And look at verse two again. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. That is a description of what is taking place in the modern messianic movement. Believers in Yeshua are suddenly realizing, wait a minute, the teaching and instructions of Moses, they're still applicable they still apply to us. Now, that's the crux of the difference between Messianic and Christian teaching. The very first episode I shared with you, the Messiah said, don't think that I came to abolish the law. Well, that's exactly what the church has taught, that the Messiah came to transform, annul, complete, finish, get rid of the law of Moses. We have believers now today who believe in the Messiah and said, no, that's not what he said. In fact, he went on to say that not a jot or a tittle, not one part of the law in any way, shape, or form will go away unless heaven and earth goes away. By the way, I got some good news for you. Heaven and earth is still here. And that means the law of Moses and the prophets has not gone away. 
And that's more than just allowing it to be sit within the covers of a Bible. It means the words haven't gone away and the meaning of the words hasn't gone away. And when God gave a command, that didn't go away, despite what religious men might want to tell you. And top of that way, he also said, by the way, there would be many false teachers and false prophets, and they would try to seduce you away from the way Moses has instructed us. That's the biblical definition of a false teacher and a false prophet. Yeshua said we'd have a lot of false prophets, and we do. And that's one of the core issues that we see going on today. Moses goes on further to say this, verse 3. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, have compassion on you, and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. We're not talking about a rapture. We're not talking about all the Christians getting gathered up from all over the world and being zapped into heaven. We are talking about them regathering like the Exodus and making a journey to the promised land. Verse 5, the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. You shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. To bring you back and you will begin to keep the greatest commandment of the law. That's the purpose to bring you back so you will obey the Lord, that you will live in the land. The original deal that Moses put together with the generation he had in his day, obey the Lord and the Lord will give you the land. Don't obey the Lord, you don't get to have the land. Well, the offer's coming to us now. You turn back to the teaching of Moses, you turn back to these messianic teachings, then you are on the path to make a journey back to the promised land. You're on the journey to make your way to the kingdom. And we're not talking about in any way, shape, or form being zapped up. This is a real thing, just as real as the Exodus was, this is just as real. The modern nation of Israel we have today has a whole series of prophecies about it. In the state that we're in right now, consider the following. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 5. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot among pieces of wood, a flaming torch among sheaves, so they will consume on the right hand and on the left all of the surrounding peoples while the inhabitants of Jerusalem dwell, again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. And the Lord will also save the tents of Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will not be magnified above Judah. So that's a very interesting prophecy. You know what it says? It says at the end of the age, the nation of Israel is primarily going to be the house of Judah. It'll primarily be the Jews. And that the house of Israel will begin to dwell securely in the land. It's centered in and around Jerusalem. And it says that there'll be surrounding nations and surrounding enemies, but that Israel and their army will be like a fire pot amongst dry sheaves. In other words, you take that fire pot, you put it up against those dry sheaves and they all catch on fire. The IDF of Israel today has demonstrated again and again over the course of this generation, when the enemies come against Israel and attempt to attack Israel and destroy Israel, the IDF has come forward with tremendous victories, military victories, and kept their enemies at bay. We have watched all of this take place. This is well known. This is what the prophecy said. Now, watch that for a moment. When in the church, did you ever hear them bring out the prophecy of Zechariah 12 to explain what's happening in this generation with regard to Israel? Well, they don't have time to talk about this prophecy because they're all tied up talking about the prophecy of the rapture. They get so focused on that, they ignore what the Bible actually says is prophecy that is taking place in our very days. 
That's a major difference between us Messianics and the Christians. I appreciate that when many of my evangelical Christian brethren are what we call pro-Israel. They're interested in Israel. They love to go on tours to Israel. They see an Israel as enriching to their faith, and that is true. But they fail to understand that the real prophecies of the Bible, the study of the last things, it primarily is focused, are you ready for this, on Israel. It's not focused on the church as a part or separate from Israel. The prophecies are all about Israel and what God's going to be doing with them. The feasts of Israel, the biblical feasts that we have from Passover all the way to the Feast of Tabernacles. Brethren, the reason why we Messianics enjoy doing them, they are a prophecy. The spring feasts tell us the story of how the Messiah came the first time. And if you recall, the Messiah, and by the way, the most number of chapters in the New Testament Gospels are dealing with the Messiah sitting and eating the Passover with his disciples. The words that he shared, the events that took place, that's a major prophetic event. The Messiah, the Lamb of God, came and fulfilled the Passover. And we also have the Feast of First Fruits. That's when he came out of the grave, the resurrection. We have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It leads to the counting of Omer. We have the Feast of Weeks. Oh my gosh, that's when the Holy Spirit was given. There's a lot of events that took place there, and it turns out the biblical feasts were all foretelling of them. Had you and I lived in the days when Yeshua came the first time, and we would have been disciples looking to follow the Lord, and you would have come up to me and said, Monty, how can we prepare for the coming of the Lord? How can we prepare for the Messiah to come and do the work of redemption? I would have said to you, you need to learn everything there is to learn about keeping the Passover. Because that's exactly what Yeshua came and did. In fact, he referred to before the Passover, he says, my time is not yet. He comes to the Passover, he says, my time has come. He came and he did what the Passover said. And in fact, he used the Passover elements, that cup after the meal, called the cup of redemption, the cup of freedom. He used that special bread from the Passover called the afikoman, the second piece that's broken and put in a linen cloth and buried behind a pillow, which then comes forth, is resurrected in that. He takes that bread and that cup, and he says, this is the new covenant for you. This is the reason why I came. Literally, in those words, he's announcing, I am the Passover. I am the fulfillment of the Passover. But the Passover is a historical event, remember? Remember Moses instituted and said, you guys are going to keep the Passover, that's the start of the Exodus? That's a historical event that had a future prophetic message. In fact, the Passover was foretelling about when the Messiah would come and do the work of redemption, when he would be the real Lamb of God and deliver us from sins and from the land of Egypt and the slavery to sin. Tremendous. Uh, how come the Christian world who believes in the Messiah doesn't understand what the Passover was? I mean, the Messiah himself did it. He did it with the disciples. He instructed them to do it. Do the Christian world, do they do it? No, you see, that stuff has to do with Israel. That's the history of Israel. And they don't understand the history of Israel is a prophecy to the end of the ages. Now, let's update to where we are in the modern day today. Okay, Monty, I'm very interested in understanding the second coming of the Messiah. And since I'm a Messianic believer, I'm going to give you the counsel on what you need to do to prepare and understand the second coming of the Messiah. You need to learn and do everything you possibly can to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the last of the seven Levitical feasts. The first one was about his first coming. The last one is about his second coming. You see what that last feast is about, what we're supposed to remember? Oh, we're supposed to go dwell in huts. We're supposed to go dwell in tents, temporary housing, to remember how our ancestors, when they left Egypt, 
how did they journey, what were their shelters, how did they journey to the promised land? Did you know that the Apostle Paul, in describing the events of the second coming, in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, Now all those things that happened in the wilderness, when Moses and the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, all those things that happened while they were journeying in those huts and so forth, they are for our admonition and our instruction upon whom will fall at the end of the ages. Studying Israel, going through the wilderness, dwelling in those huts is actually the information you need to know and understand and remember because that is what is going to happen to you at the second coming. Now that is dramatically different than what you've ever heard from the Christian world. I dare say if you go up to an average Christian, a Christian eschatology teacher, and ask him, what does the Feast of Tabernacles have to do with the second coming of the Messiah? They haven't got the foggiest idea. They have no sense of it whatsoever. Yet Paul cited it as a reason, yet we've seen the pattern the Messiah came fulfilling that Passover on the first time clearly said he was there to fulfill that. By the way, it infers that he's going to be fulfilling the last feast the second time he comes. If we're all interested in really understanding the prophecies of the end and the Messiah coming, why don't we pursue the prophecies that talk about that? Why do we instead walk away from that, ignore that, don't want to know anything about that. Dismiss that by false teachers who say, don't have anything to do with what Moses and God said about Israel. You're not part of Israel. Well, if you're not part of Israel, you would never pay attention to that. But as I've already shared with you in previous episodes, if you become a believer in Yeshua the Messiah, you are part of the family of Abraham. You have become Hebrew. And the Hebrews are the citizens of Israel. The Jews are only a subset of those citizens, but there's vast more other citizens of Israel that are not necessarily Jews. In fact, Paul emphatically says, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, he emphatically taught the Gentiles that as soon as you become a believer of the Messiah, that you are a wild branch grafted into the tree of Israel. You're part of the nation of Israel, and you're part of the commonwealth of Israel. And the prophecies and the heritage and the promises that God gave to Israel belong to you too. By the way, all the prophecies about Israel belong to you too. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I was in the church before, in my earlier days, I never once ever heard any such thing from any teacher I ever had. And it wasn't because they intentionally wanted to deceive me or be false. They didn't have a teacher to teach them. Nobody ever, nobody ever taught that before. They, they, we lost this centuries ago. Other men, church fathers, made the decision, we don't want to have anything to do with Israel, we're going to separate from Israel, and then we're going to justify making a new organization we call the church in lieu of what God was doing with Israel. But i got news for you, God has never stopped dealing with Israel. And while he honors those that call on the name of the Messiah, there is no justification for a believer today who believes in the God of Israel to get anything different than the rest of Israel for when it comes to what the prophecy says is going to happen. God has planned what he's going to do and has it planned from before the foundations of the world. The idea that God is somehow impulsive, that he can change his mind, that he is reactive, and so forth to what we do here on the earth is absolutely false teaching about who God is. Let me recount a few verses to you how emphatically this is stated about the Lord. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 8 says the following, Remember this and be assured, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, 
and there is no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass, I have planned it, surely I will do it. God gave to Moses a set of instructions in the Torah, a number of things to do associated with the temple service, holidays and festivals to be kept. It's his plan. It's a plan for all of us. And that plan, given way back a long time ago, we are told, remember that. Pay attention to that. Because, by the way, that's God's plan on what's going to happen to us. If we'll learn that plan, if we'll pay attention to it, we will foresee and understand what God has planned. By the way, God is very specific about, I planned it, I'm going to do that. So this business that all of a sudden God can at any moment say, well, you know, I think what I'm going to do, I've been working with Israel, but you know what I'm going to do with the church? I'm going to, I'm going to pick a moment in time, which nobody knows, and I'm going to blow shofar and I'm going to zap everybody up. He didn't say that. That's not part of the plan. Oh, that's what a lot of men say. But that's not what God said. That's what a lot of men have concluded because they have twisted the scriptures to make them do what they want them to do. I'll be real honest with you. I hope, I wish we could all get zapped out of here right now. I'm ready to go now. I'd just soon be with the Lord than be sitting here talking to you. I'm, not that I don't like you, I love you, but I would just soon be with the Lord. And if the Lord wants to come back and zap me out of here, let's do it. But I know that's not the plan. You see, I read what the Lord had to say, and he said, that's not the plan. I have some other things planned for you. The end times, all the end times scenario, they're all based on this great big plan that's all through the scripture. Moses started laying out the plan. The prophets gave out the plan. God has planned this whole thing. He has planned bringing back Israel from the nations, that there will be a time when the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. He's planning on bringing them all back and saving all of us. And he's planning on defeating his enemies and having a day of the Lord and reestablishing the kingdom. And his toe, will touch down, his toe will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And suddenly the temple will be amongst men and he'll dwell amongst us and we will live in the kingdom. And I'll get a new body. He's got a plan. And we're part of it. How come we're not talking about the plan that God has? Why are we talking about an escape hatch? Why would you want to eject out of an airplane before the airplane is flying just fine and hasn't landed yet? Why don't you stick with the plan that God has? I just made that up. I think that's a great metaphor. Let me read one more verse to you that emphasizes this point about God's character. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The answer to those questions is God has a plan. That's what he intends to do. And the only goal that we have is, can we go and find where the plan is at? Can we find where his prophecies are at? Can we glean them, understand them, see them properly, so that we can be part of the plan. Now, I'm gonna shift gears here for just a little bit because I think one of the best ways to illustrate this to you about the plan is we all now, where we're at, and the audience here, you're joining with me, I believe that everybody that's watching me, you already believe in the Messiah. You already believe Yeshua is the Messiah, that he came and fulfilled the prophecies. He is the Redeemer, he is our Savior. He paid the price for our sins. He was resurrected from the dead. He's proved he's got the gift of eternal life. We have all of those things here. Did you know there were lots of prophecies that were telling the disciples in his day what to look for so they would recognize the Messiah when he came? There were a lot of prophecies that were given 
back 2,000 years ago to tell the brethren, here's what you want to look for in a Messiah when he comes. By going back and examining some of those prophecies that foretold of the Messiah coming the first time, by listening to how the disciples processed that information, how they began to see and believe in the Messiah the first time, it's kind of a case study in Bible prophecies about the Messiah coming that could give us some clues on how we should be viewing prophecies of his second coming, and maybe we would interpret those prophecies accurately and correctly. With that said, I want to take you to one of the most basic places in the Bible, I'm sure you're all familiar with, in which the Apostle John begins to share with us in the Gospel the things they were looking for and how when Yeshua came into their midst, how they began to understand he was the Messiah, to understand what he came to do. The whole book of John has been written for that purpose, folks. In fact, at the last verses of the Gospel, John says the following. He says, I've written all these things that you too might believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah and you too will receive the gift of eternal life. He's literally giving you a case study from their testimony. They were looking for the Messiah. They were hoping for the Messiah. Well, the Messiah showed up and how did they verify he was the Messiah? How did they get it straight where they understood what God's plan was for the Messiah to come the first time? By the way, if we examine that, how that worked, that might give us some clues on how to understand the prophecies about a second coming, what we can anticipate, what we should be looking for, just like what they did. Turn with you now to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, and it begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's giving you the first clue of what to look for in the Messiah. He's telling you, he just said something that comes from the scripture about the Messiah. The phrase, in the beginning, is a very common phrase to anybody that studies the Bible. Those are the first words of the Bible. Genesis 1-1 begins with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And thus begins the whole writing of the scripture. Now here's John, he's going to begin to tell you about the coming of the Messiah the first time, and he starts with those words. But here's what he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, so let's go back to Genesis 1-1. Remember I'm telling you, I can tell you the end while telling you the beginning. Remember the things long past. Let's go back to those early words, those remember long things. Did you know there's a clue about the Messiah right there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are actually seven Hebrew words in the Hebrew that says that, but I only translated six of them. In the actual Hebrew, it says, Bereshit, Bera, Elohim, Et, Hashemayim, Va'et, Haaretz. I just pronounced seven Hebrew words. The fourth word was not translated to you. The fourth word is the word et. It's spelled with two Hebrew letters, Aleph and Tav. The first and the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, if you're taking Hebrew as a language grammar, that is a director. That word there in the Hebrew is actually saying this to the reader. The action of the verb is not on the subject, it's on the object or the predicate object. In other words, it's not that God was created there, it was that God created the heavens and the earth. So we translate it in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what the word et, it, it tells you in Hebrew, the action of the verb creation goes on the object, not on the subject. It also does this. That word, et, shows up in a whole bunch of other places in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a very interesting word. That's what John's talking about. In the beginning was the word. Oh, what word? 
John, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about a metaphor about the Messiah coming to be the very word of God. That's true too. He's actually telling you, go to Genesis 1-1 and look at that particular word that's sitting there in that first sentence, that Aleph and Tav word. That's the first sign, the first evidence in the Bible telling you about the Messiah. Let's go to the first evidence of the Messiah. And it turns out that word shows up in a whole bunch of different prophecies. <laughs> in fact, it's about 14 places in which the rabbis of Israel, the sages of Israel, go asking this, who or what is the Aleph Tav? These are biblical Jewish scholars and they're saying, there's something interesting with that word there. That word shows up in places like in Zechariah 10, they will look upon whom they pierced. There's no Hebrew word for him or whom. Actually in the Hebrew it says, they will look upon Aleph Tav they pierced. Now we all know that verse is about Yeshua being crucified. They pierced him. They will look upon him. And the Messiah on the cross is referred to as the Aleph and the Tav. Yeshua in Revelation chapter one, having a conversation with the Hebrew prophet John to write the book of Revelation, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. No, he didn't, that's Greek. This is a Hebrew Messiah talking to a Hebrew prophet and I believe he spoke Hebrew and if he did so, he said, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. I'm the Aleph and Tav, that's who you're looking for. That's who I am. The beginning and the end. And we take the Hebrew alphabet as the example, the word picture for it. So John, when he says, in the beginning was the word, he's referring to a very specific word there, the Aleph and Tav word. He goes on to say, he was in the beginning with God. In fact, you'll find Aleph Tav sitting right next to the word Elohim. Elohim is God. He was sitting with Elohim. He's right there beside him. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. And there came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, guess what John has just done? He said, the first prophecy that you need to know about the Messiah is that word Aleph Tav sitting in Genesis 1. Let's start with that prophecy if you want to understand who the Messiah is. Then the next thing he gives us, by the way, God has sent a man, his name is John, to be a forerunner who will introduce the Messiah to you. He just gave the prophecy about John the Baptist. And in fact, John the Baptist was prophesied to come. You remember the story when John was out there in, in the wilderness baptizing? And they dispatched some men, some Pharisees from Jerusalem. They wanted to go, what is this guy out here doing? I mean, he's preaching repentance, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and so forth. And John is recording for us, that guy was sent by God, that he's the guy who's supposed to introduce you to the Messiah. He will be part of the original prophecies to understand who the Messiah is. Now you know the story. John was questioned by those men. They thought maybe he might be claiming to be the Messiah himself. The answer was no, he wasn't the Messiah. He was fulfilling the prophecy, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord, Isaiah, Chapter 40, verse 1. Did you realize that Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 is giving you one of the clues to identify who the Messiah is? The man who would be sent, who would introduce the Messiah to Israel. Now, I'm going to introduce here for a moment, but in the next episode, I'm going to go into this in greater detail. Here's John out there doing what God has told him to do preaching repentance, turn back to the law of Moses, obey the Lord, the Messiah is getting ready to come, and all of a sudden the Messiah comes walking up. And all of a sudden John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He announces 
Yeshua of Nazareth, as the Lamb of God. That was a sign that Yeshua was the Messiah. See, it turns out that Abraham's prophecy of the Messiah was back there when he was taking Isaac to Mount Moriah to offer him up. The Lord had told, take Isaac, your son, your only son, the son you love, go sacrifice, give him back to me. The promised son, give him back to me. So Abraham faithfully took Isaac. They were going up there. And along the way, Isaac took note of, he said, Father, he said, we have the knife, we have the thing, we don't, we don't have the sacrifice. And Abraham made a very interesting promise to all of us. He said, be, he said, the Lord will provide the lamb for himself in that place. The Lord will provide for himself the lamb in that place. We call it the lamb of God, the lamb that God provides. And did you know that Abraham took Isaac to the very place that Yeshua was crucified? That's the very place where Yeshua was crucified, where Abraham took Isaac. So when John announced, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, John is referring to the prophecy that was made by Abraham that this is the one. Now, why would that be such a significant thing to understand the coming of the Messiah and so forth? How do you tie all that together? That is a very interesting answer and I'm going to share that with you in our next episode and show you how the prophecies of the Messiah coming the first time are very powerful to teach you how to see the prophecies of the second coming. So Shabbat Shalom to all of you. I look forward to seeing you next week and we're going to talk about who is the Lamb of God and how in the world do we know that was the Lamb of God. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you.